Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back by no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in beautiful, sunny, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Tennessee Tickets, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising here with you. Hope you had a lovely weekend. I spent some time away myself on my parents' boat. I was very relaxed. I feel rejuvenated, and now I'm ready to buckle down and get ready for a football season because, damn it, we're going to have one in some form or fashion. Today, we will speak with Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network on an analysis of Rashawn Evans, the Titans' inside linebacker, one of them, one of the two, great linebackers that they have here in Tennessee. Ben broke down some film on Rashawn Evans and wrote a really great article for the Draft Network about how the growth we are seeing from Rashawn is not only rewarding, given what he is as a first-round draft pick, but sustainable into year three for Rashawn, where he'll be looking to grow and develop further as a player. Apparently, the ceiling is has not yet been reached. So we have Ben Solak of the Draft Network. Going to spend five good minutes on the changing of the name of the Washington professional football team. So without further ado, let's get to our discussion. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast powered by Tennessee Tickets. A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network, kind enough to make his debut. You know him, of course, from the Draft Network of the Kist and Solak Show with our degenerate friend Michael Kist, who I'm sure is out trolling the depths of the internet for some kind of fight with Eagles fans or football fans in general, or really just whoever he wants to fight with. Like, I don't know how the hell you do a show on a regular basis with him, Ben. I feel like he's hugely confrontational. I feel like that would bring great stress into my life. Yeah, the, the two of us together equals the like amount of confrontation that you usually get from two people. It's just he brings all of it and I bring none of it. So <laughs> he, uh, now we open pretty much every podcast with him complaining about how late I am or how bad my audio is. And I pretty much just don't have any response to it. And then we go from there. Yeah, see, that's just the best way to deal with things. You ignore uh, you ignore them, you bury them under the surface. It's, uh, it's what makes for a healthy and functioning relationship. Ben also has the Locked On Draft podcast with our friend Trevor Sykema that you can find wherever it is that you get your podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. He is here today because he wrote something for the Draft Network 
Uh, not that we needed an excuse to have him on, but you did write something Titans-related for the Draft Network about mm-hmm. the evolution of Rashawn Evans, inside linebacker for the Titans, from year one to year two. I guess you had been doing some film analysis on the Titans' defense. I saw a couple of Harold Landry clips on your timeline as well. But let's start with Rashawn because he is, in my opinion, criminally underrated for what he does for this defense. You seem to have brought some of that to light. What, what when people are talking about Rashawn Evans or not talking about Rashawn Evans, what's the biggest mistake they make when evaluating him as a player? Yeah, we, we, there's like a saying, there's a theory in scouting, which is that if a, best, if a player's best trait is his versatility, usually that means he's not very good. Because it means you can't grab one thing and say he's an elite run defender, he's an elite coverage player, he's an elite blitz, or what have you. Evans' best trait is his versatility, but we shouldn't fall into the trap of saying that he doesn't have plus traits. Like Evans is uber aggressive. He's very physical. He's really quick for a 240-pounder. He's got nice quickness. Play recognition, year two, year one, it's a lot better. He's key, and he's playing with his eyes first a lot better. He has pass rush ability. He's still improving in his coverage ability, but his zone drops are getting there. He's got QB spy ability. So he does so many things for the Titans. And so when you sit down and you look at 16 games worth of stats, you go, all right, he's got a lot of tackles, not a lot of pass breakups, a couple sacks, a couple TFLs. It's nothing that's going to stand out to you right, when you compare him to other guys in the class. But the reality is he's being asked to do such a spectrum of things that he may never stand out in one statistical category. But for a defense coordinator like Dean Pease, he solves a lot of problems. Uh, when, you, when you use as many different fronts as Pease does, when you use as many sub-package rushers, Kamalai Correa, you know, Harold Landry, as Pease does, you need a guy who can realistically line up at six different spots and do five different things, and it's not – teeing off to the offense either way what's going on that's for Sean Evans that's why he took as many snaps as he did he outsnapped Jalen Brown because he solves problems for you given his versatility yeah and that's what Mike Vrabel now in the absence of Dean Pease uh, having retired after the AFC championship game it's largely assumed that Mike's going to call the call the defense and he seems to value that versatility across the board more so really than and uh, you know I haven't covered a ton of Titans coaches but certainly more than Mike Malarkey, like with Mike Vrabel, defense in particular, you have to be able to do as many jobs as humanly possible in order to find your playing time. And you make the point in your article, again, you can check it out at thedraftnetwork.com, throw him a follow at Benjamin Solak on the socials, that they have no overarching, like uber-talented, versatile playmaker in this defense but Rashawn mitigates that to a degree because he can cover so many different elements of what they're being asked to do defensively what the scheme it is that Dean was running Mike looking to largely carry over a lot of those concepts what stood out in particular was there was there a game uh that or a or a, a specific snap that you remember watching that you say okay this really was a great example of that kind of versatility that we're talking about. Yeah, the Patriots goal line stand sequence was sick, which, like, that's, that's, there's not much versatility there. There's just this looks like outside zone away from me. And, and listen, if Bill Belichick's running away from you in the red zone three snaps in a row, it means he knows you're a good football player. Uh, so, first, that in and of itself tells you something. But Evan's understanding that, listen, if I'm going to make a play on this, I have to commit to it at the snap. And then having the, the physical ability to go get it. He had one tackle and he was airborne. So that sequence was sick. 
But then when they asked him to do it against Baltimore in a game in which the Baltimore offense had not been stopped like it was stopped by the Titans defense in that AFC divisional round, wildcard round, divisional round. In that that would have been the divisional game. round. Divisional that would have been the yeah. divisional round. One of the most un, – un, just that whole game, man. Like hey. that, I, we sat there in the press box watching that shit, and I'm like, are they actually up 14 to nothing on the best offense in the sport, yeah. one of the most exciting teams that I've ever seen? It was funny. Like, I, I, in reflecting on that game, kind of feel like the defensive performance was overshadowed because Henry had such a good game and then Tannehill had like two unbelievable throws at the play action, Khalif Raymond touchdown, right? And everybody was like, this is the most surprising thing. And the most surprising thing is where Sean Evans QB spying Lamar Jackson for four quarters semi successfully. You only QB spy Lamar Jackson so well, right? Like, he's going to break some on you. And Evans was all over the place in that game. And, and what we talk about from, from a versatility perspective here is if we're putting Jarrell Casey, Jeffrey Simmons as down linemen, and then we're lining up Harold Landry and Camelot Correa and Rashawn Evans and Jalen Brown and Kenny Vaccaro all in gaps on the line of scrimmage. We're presenting a six-man surface, a seven-man surface. Somebody's coming and somebody's bailing. And the idea is not letting the offense know who because then they can't slide their protection appropriately. You'd have a lot of good like Logan Ryan pressure packages, Kenny Vaccaro pressure packages, but they would give a lot of defensive linemen and linebackers to the offensive right just to send safeties and corners from the offensive left. You're trying to manipulate slide protection. Well, the only way this works with a quarterback like Lamar back there is if one of those guys you're dropping off the line can sit three yards back and go get Lamar wherever he goes. And they ask for Sean to do that. And again, perfect by no means. Good enough? Absolutely. And Evans was really good as well in that game at understanding what motion meant for that, that Ravens offense. That Ravens offense used motion at a higher rate than any offense we've seen in the last, like, five bajillion years or something, give or take a few. It's a crazy amount of pre-snap motion. There's so much you have to process with that. Evans was regularly ahead of H-backs, ahead of tight ends, ahead of fullbacks. He knew what was coming. So he's developed a really good eye for the game, and then the physical ability lets him fill a role that very few linebackers can fill. So when we talk about that win against the Ravens, to me the storyline on defense for that game was Rashawn Evans. I again criminally underrated and one of the smartest you know and you 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 get you learn only so much from dealing in a with dealing with a player in day-to-day interactions but mm-hmm. truly one of the most introspective and one of the smartest guys in that locker room that I think helps him so much so much in terms of the recognition and the ability to retain the information because right. Mike Frable is as demanding an individual as any human being in professional football right now. And he puts a lot, especially on, on, on those inside linebackers, to be able to key that defense. Dean Pease as well. The tip sheets that he does for them over the course of the week where he right. leaves them $100 if they find the certain tip that he's looking or previously when he was coaching them. Uh, it all, Rashawn really seemed to lean into it in a way that I've really only heard Dean and Mike talk about Kevin Byard in that same regard with the ability to recognize and the ability to put into practice what it is that they're asking them to do successfully. Right. And when you have such a, uh, an aggressive play style as Evans does, your eyes have to be able to play as fast as your feet do. And I don't think anyone's eyes play as fast as Rashawn Evans' feet do. Like he's always going to be a little bit like run himself out of some plays sometimes because he just triggers and goes. Like he's super aggressive. But we got to remember, he started playing off-ball linebacker permanently in 2017, three right. years ago. Right, and obviously he, he you know, uh, split time. He, he had some time there, some time otherwise. But when you talk about ingraining reflexes, when you talk about just the habituation of 
always lining up in the same spots, always reading the same keys, and you start to get that sixth sense of that right guard's a little bit too far back. He's probably pulling. It takes years to build that into a guy. And Evans, in that at Alabama, he was splitting time between being off the ball and on the ball. He doesn't have nearly the amount of reps that's necessary to start ingraining those reflexes to get that sixth sense. Well, guess what? You put him off ball predominantly for two years in the NFL, massive leap from year one to year two in his mental recognition. A lot of that is just you got to give the guy reps. you got to put him out there and let him do it, and, and he grows into it with the game film. So there's no reason to believe he can't get better in year three because, again, we're talking about a player who – up against like the Roquan Smiths and Leighton Vanderesh's of this class. Well, Vanderesh bad example because he was like seven on seven ball. Like Roquan Smith, Darius Leonard, Tremaine Edmonds. Those guys have had so much more time taking reps at that location that Evans is behind them and he's climbing. He should probably continue climbing next year too. Yeah, the Dave, Coach Dave McGinnis, uh, longtime assistant for Jeff Fisher and for Mike Ditka's Bears, longtime Titans assistant. He does the radio color here now. Was as excited about. Uh, about Rashawn Evans as any player that I've seen him come into contact with. And he was constantly, you know, fans and media, we both have the, have the, the need for instant gratification when it comes to these guys a lot of times. Certainly when you lack perspective and you see, okay, well, if they've missed the entirety of training camp, how much credence are we really going to give to them in their rookie year? Like just not understanding simply how important is for those players during that deve de developmental time, we've done the same thing here with Corey Davis, who struggled with injuries right out of the gate. Rashawn Evans, I think, is a classic example of that. But, when Ben, when you look at this defense, because I know you watched a couple of the players, and Jeff Schwartz is out here feuding with Titans fans because he's diminishing the abilities of Jeffrey Simmons or trying to, or, you know, in, in the eyes of Titans fans. They just, just really don't seem to like Jeff Schwartz much around here. I don't know what it is this constant feud that they have with him on social media. But when you look at the need for a hyper-versatile, or maybe not even a hyper-versatile, a versatile playmaker in this defense, who are you most excited about the prospect of? Because I know you've watched a little bit of Harold. Jeffrey Simmons, it's, it's hard to miss him at any given point, especially when he got on the field. And that was about 70% of what they expect Jeffrey Simmons to be in his rookie year coming off that ACL injury. Are those the two players that you key on first, or is there somebody else in this defense that you are excited to see grow and develop? Yeah, I, think, I think now that Jarrell Casey's gone, your best player in this defense, Kevin Biard, who's knockout pre-safety, a great player, rising young star. I made the point in actually talking about this Evans article that I think at each position of the defense – you have a player for the Titans who's either a rising star or a star. I think Byard is the star. And then a defensive tackle, Simmons, is a guy you expect to be on his way. Obviously, we got, like you were talking about with training camp exposure, he was thrown into the fire with no training camp, coming off the ACL and the surgery. And so Simmons, promising. I'm excited to see him on a full year. At edge, Harold Landry got nine sacks for a reason. That kid can play. Oh, and he could play at Boston College, dealt with the ankle injury, fell in part because of the ankle injury, Nobody thought he was going to fall that far. Couldn't tell you why. Turns out when he's healthy and playing for 16 games in 2019, guess what? He's a tremendous outside rusher. Bendy, quick, explosive, smart with his hands. It's just stupid. I put up the clip of him against Eric Fisher and the Chiefs in the regular season. Ridiculous rush. It's annoying. Uh, Evans is your guy linebacker. And then Adoree Jackson, a corner, uh, who I like a fair bit, who's another guy who's a bit raw to the position than you usually see coming into the league, but is growing nicely. 
the players that stand out to me that I'm excited for, uh, besides Simmons, Evans, some of your obvious ones, I like Damani Hooker a lot coming out of Iowa. Uh, he and Dane Crookshank both are, are examples of John Robinson understanding what fits. Right, you yeah. bring in a guy like Kenny Baccaro, and then you draft Dane Crookshank. Well, that makes sense. Amani Hooker is going to be the exact same mold that you got from a Logan Ryan or Malcolm Butler in terms of the blitzing ability and then the, the short zone coverage ability. So those are two players I'm excited about in the secondary. And then I like Walker, the Georgia edge, DeAndre Walker coming out in 2018 as well. And he dealt with health issues coming out in his final season as well. But if you're talking about a potential third, fourth rusher, because they like to put a lot of those speed guys in the B-gaps and the C-gaps, get three, four guys who can rush on the field on third down, he's going to win one of those jobs. And I think he's going to be successful in doing so. So he was good. But that safety room is what stands out to me. Bayer, Bacaro, Hooker, and Crookshank is just everybody can do everything. The defense, the defense is going to change not a ton uh, outside, of, outside of play calling preferences. Like just what a what – a, Whatever Mike Vrabel, the difference from Dean Pease schematically, it's going to be largely the same. But I think that they have a unique understanding here. And it's, you know, I think it's uh, with, without the benefit of covering multiple teams and understanding the inner workings of multiple teams, what you're talking about with John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, is they really seem to understand what each other needs on yep. the field. In, in evaluating the job that John Robinson does, because obviously you study the draft a great deal. Uh, in working with the Draft Network. What do you think of the past – the past couple drafts, they've just kind of had these guys fall to them in Harold Landry in the second round and Jeffrey Simmons at 19th overall, and then you find A.J. Brown in the late 50s. The same thing kind of happens this year with Christian Fulton in a way that I just – I found inexplicable for the guy that could very easily – I mean, I don't know how you graded them out, but when I looked at this draft class, I mean, I couldn't make, I couldn't find a spot lower for him than the third best corner out of this group. Maybe you feel differently about the matter, but when I look at John Robinson's draft so far, I think that he seems to display above average ability from the rest of his colleagues. It's such an imperfect science. How do you evaluate him as a talent evaluator? Yeah, Robinson's the most underrated talent guy in the league, period. Flat the out. most Chris underrated. Ballard, most under Chris Ballard's the dude. John Schneider's the dude. No doubts about it. Uh, I think DaCosta and Baltimore's really underrated as well. But Robinson has been – in twenty in the 2019 draft, he had my number one rated draft class. There was nobody he reached on, according to my board, which is, you know, ridiculous. And obviously, that class turned out pretty good. I didn't love Isaiah Wilson early. It's a total – scheme culture fit like he's just an angry dude on an offense with a bunch of big angry dudes you know what I mean so like that makes sense but the Fulton pick I thought was delightful right and I really really like again like I think you're getting such a good cover guy at 61 or whatever it was it's just obnoxious uh so uh, Robinson for me and, and the way they built that and then to add Monty to that front office who like I mean Monty Austin for yeah, for those listening yeah. at home and the thing about Austin for is that like, he is a guy who has been perceived as a future GM in the league, but it's tough to get out of New England and, and go take that future GM job. So him balancing to Tennessee gets a couple of increased responsibilities now that he's not with Belichick. I don't think he's going to be long for the Tennessee front office. I think he's going to get hired away. But just for one, two years, however long you get him, that's a stock-studded uh, front office. I can't remember the name of their cap cap for the life of me, but he's been good for years. Vin Marino. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I got a ton of respect for Robinson. I think that we're going to look back 
in three, five years and realize that he put together a series of drafts similar to what you got out of Schneider in the early 2010s, similar to what you get out of Ballard over the last couple of years. Robinson, to me, is just, I don't know where the love is for him, but it's got to come eventually. He's built such a good roster. Well, nobody, nobody for the longest, Ben. I, I mean, nobody for the longest like watching them. Like they have been, right. they have been offensively before the Tannehill thing. I mean, they started two and five, and they were just a, just godforsaken. And as somebody who spent <laughs> so much of my time watching them, like even as a media member, like they were unpleasant to watch as a team. And then you take right. the, small, the small market element, and you know, unpleasant to watch at uh, as a team from an offensive standpoint. Everybody knows the issues that Marcus Mariota has had and and exotic smash mouth was what it was when Mike Malarkey was here. But I think that they don't get a lot of credit just because not a lot of people see them on a regular basis. And I think when they do deserve that praise Mm -hmm. here recently in the last 10 games, and listen, nobody was going to have Ryan Tannehill fall into their lap the way that it did with John Robinson. That was one of the, one of the best personnel decisions in retrospect of any decision that was made last year save their season uh obviously but yeah I think you know it you gotta at least here locally you try to remove yourself from okay am I thinking of this from from too much of a homer perspective like is John Robinson really as good at his job and is this organization really operating as cohesively as they appear to be because you don't have the retrospect of of looking at them up against another team except for this time that you spend in the press box watching the other team that they play on a, on a weekly basis. Right, yeah. And then the big thing that remains now for Robinson is he's yet to have to make the early QB draft pick, and that's probably coming. The Tannehill for three years, I don't think he's ever going to have a season as good as he had no. this the back half of 2019, and especially if they lose Arthur Brown, which people think that Brown's going to get poached if he has another, you know, coordinating season the way Arthur that he Smith. did. Arthur Smith, excuse me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for some reason, I always call him Arthur Brown. I don't think I've ever gotten his name right. Well, that's because A.J. Brown's full name is Arthur Juan Brown. I don't know if that's yeah. actually the reason, but we'll go ahead and give you but that. I, like that right. I always try to give him a Brown. So Arthur Smith, excuse me, um, if he gets poached, I think your, your Tannehill drop down a little bit. And eventually, you're going to have to sit down and figure out what to do with Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and that money and potentially make, make a, an early investment in a really good quarterback. That makes or breaks at the GM. You'd be as good as you want getting third-round edges and fourth-round safeties to play well for you. You can't get that player right. It's all for not. Um, so love Robinson, love Rabel, love the culture. You don't get to the AFC Championship game with Ryan Tannehill by accident. That's because that team in that locker room is fantastic. The big coming down the mountain now is that early pick at quarterback, and he's going to have to make in the next couple of years. Got to get that right. We'll get you out of here on this one, given that by the time most people hear this, the deadline will have passed for a Derrick Henry contract extension mm-hmm. should they seek to do so. Now, they've said publicly in a way that John Robinson does not. The only, the only times that they have public, uh, publicly commented on contract situations are Derrick Henry and Jadavion Clowney. It's totally ridiculous to me that these are the two guys that they'd be out there on a regular basis stumping for, but that's been the case throughout the course of this offseason. Thank God, honestly, as somebody who does a talk show five days a week, like I need them to be able to comment on these guys to stay alive in the middle of a global pandemic, just to hell with all of it. Anyway, Derrick Henry will have to be extended if they are going to do so in this 2020 season by Wednesday, July 15th. If you are a personnel person, a talent evaluator, as you are for the Draft Network, 
do you find him worthy of an extension, understanding what the figures are for running backs right now? Right now, no. It goes – it's simply I don't know what my cap ceiling is for right. 2021. I can't be spending any money. I'm an Eagles fan personally. We are currently $50 million all over the cap for 2021, and that's if everything stays the same, which it will not. No. So I am in big spend no money on anybody at all, you know, freeze on the spending situation. Henry, franchising Henry and extending Tannehill, in my opinion, was the correct decision. I like the way they did that. Gives them a, a year to figure out if we're going to drive Henry into the ground, if we're going to really just, you know, feed him as a bell cow, then either move on from him or give him a contract to say that he's one of the few that matters, one of the few that really is going to fill out this the second contract. So I think that was the right way to go about it. But at this point, I'm telling his agent, listen, I, I can't spend money until I know what I've got in 2021. And I think that's the safe way to play it. I feel like most agents are hearing that right now. They're probably sick of hearing it. Unfortunate. That's where like, we are. What the, hell, what the hell do you do? Benjamin Solak, what you do in the meantime is you go to the Draft Network, you read Benjamin Solak, you listen to the Locked On Draft podcast and the Kist and Solak show, all of these platforms. Benjamin Solak doing excellent work for my brother. I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, good to do a little home and home with you. Thank you for the insight and uh, hope you stay safe and well in the uh, in the middle of all this hopefully we have some actual football to talk about next time we have you on yeah absolutely buck i appreciate it i'm glad you're doing well okay five good minutes on this tuesday about the washington professional football team changing the name that has long been associated with a racial slur so we received note notice from washington and that professional football team that is being much discussed, that they would change the name and that this had been in the works for a while and that it was currently under review until such time as they can come up with the new nickname. This was Adam Schefter on Get Up This Morning talking about how long this name change had been in the works. From the moment the Redskins announced on July 3rd that they were undergoing that thorough review, there's no way that they could go back to keeping that name once they launch that review at a time like this in this country. There was pressure, yes, from FedEx and Pepsi and some of the other sponsors, the major sponsors like Nike that are associated with the Washington NFL franchise. But the fact of the matter is Dan Snyder had been engaged in discussions with the NFL for the last few weeks. They had been considering other names. And when they get the financial pressure and the times that we're living in and make that announcement in early July, the truth of the matter is there's no way they're going back to that name. We said last week that all Native American imagery would be out on any new nickname. And so what other choice? The only news today is the fact that they're actually making it official today and saying that that name, that nickname, will no longer be a part of the franchise. But again, from early this month, there was no chance that that name was going to be back in Washington. So there was never really a time in today's racial climate where they were going to put this out there and back down and stick with the name that people have been complaining about so frequently and so often in Washington. And I want to make sure that we understand exactly what this is, because this is being done in a time where a lot of people are complaining about cancel culture. That's a very real thing. We are very quick right now as a society to jump down each other's throats and to try and cancel one another if we see behavior that we don't all agree with. 
which turns out quite a lot of behavior that we don't all agree with. And that can be good and that can be bad. There will be overcorrections in the search for balance. That's ultimately what we are seeing from today's minority communities speaking out, protesting, proclaiming that they are not receiving the same rights in this country as many other people. And they are right, of course, in that respect. But think about how little what is happening with the Washington football team has to do with what we are experiencing the moment from George Floyd through this movement that we are currently experiencing that focuses on the black community and the need for equal rights. The black community and the right to be safe when they are dealing with police in a way that white people and other people of different races do not have to fear. This ultimately, and the systemic injustice and racism that's been baked into our country for years. We've talked about this at length. This is about, though, Washington and the changing of a name because it doesn't have anything to do with the movement that black people in this country are currently calling for. This is a panic moment from corporations in the United States of America, who don't know how to properly handle this thing, and so they are moving as a part of cancel culture. I'm not somebody who would say, that would make the argument that cancel culture is ruining society, yada, yada, yada. Like, I'm anti-Clay Travis in most respects, as you guys well know, and that's something that Clay rails against. But I I do recognize that it does exist, that this is a moment where a lot of people in high positions around this country, because a lot of them are not not minorities, which is how a lot of these problems are created, they don't know what to do. And so instead of figuring out a way to contribute to the cause that we are all currently pulling in the direction of, which of course is the Black Lives Matter movement, they're telling Dan Snyder, okay, in no way, shape, or form. And now this does not represent something that's bad. Like ultimately... This is a good thing. It just has so precious little to do with the actual reasons that all of these protests began. This is not related to Black Lives Matter. It is being treated as a subject having to do with Black Lives Matter. When we know that the two are not connected, people just don't seem to know how to handle situations like this who are in many positions of power across the country, whether it be FedEx who doesn't want to be involved with the name that is a racial slur, will no longer be the case and be involved with this team name that is a racial slur. Nike doing the same thing, but that's for different reasons. Now, it is invoking positive change. We can all sit here and agree that this is something that needed to be done. Or if we can't, I hope that you are listening to both sides of the argument and not just taking your information from one source and thinking that that is the way it is because that particular news source has espoused those beliefs. I hope that you're considering all of the information at hand and listening to all parties involved, which is how many of us can come to the conclusion that this is something that needs to be done. But it does not need to be done as a part of this movement. It does not need to be done as a part of... Cancer, cancel culture. Make no mistake, Dan Snyder would have never done this had he not been at risk of losing millions of dollars from FedEx who didn't want the rights 
to a stadium that they are named for, that their company is named for, FedEx Field. They didn't want it associated with a racial slur anymore, and they are right to do so. And that is the reason why Dan Snyder is changing the name. Not because Dan Snyder is exploring all possibilities to make sure that he has increased sensitivity about things like this in a way that he has never in the entire history of his tenure as the owner of that team, the majority owner of that team. This is not some kind of education suddenly that has brought about a change of heart. This is just money talking, baby. And money is saying right now, hey, listen up. If you've got any kind of racially tinged element to your entity, this is the time that you can make up for years upon years of ills in this regard and ignorance in this regard and take advantage of something that is not necessarily connected but a movement for positive change. And that's what we've seen with the Washington racial slurs over the past couple days and with Dan Schneider, who remains a coward, who will not answer questions about any of this, but cowardly ownership, maybe that's a subject, for another day's five good minutes. That's going to do it for us here on a Tuesday. Shouts to Ben Solak of the Draft Network for stopping by, for creating interesting and engaging conversation about the Tennessee Titans roster, their future, and the young talent that resides in it. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to remind you that we have a very special guest coming up on Thursday. We will tease it later in the week once we have the official time confirmed, but I can tell you that this man used to be the head coach of the Tennessee Titans and that many of you enjoy him still in some form or fashion. Look forward to that on Thursday's 615 Sessions podcast. We have a ton of good podcasts that are available in the A to Z Sports Podcast Network. A Big Orange podcast was released today. Charlie and Zach are back off vacation and have much to discuss. You can get that on Monday. The Tighten Up podcast with two people that I consider to be idiots. Many of you who listen to this podcast and in this feed consider the Tighten Up podcasters to be idiots. I think we can all agree upon that. And that their idiocy better not bring down my podcast rating or we will have to start a legitimate feud if they think they have some kind of fight with Jonathan Hutton. Let me tell you, the Tighten Up Idiots have not seen anything yet. But meanwhile, rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars in the rating section for all of the great content that we are pumping out here on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network. Tennessee Titans, Tighten Up Podcast Idiots included in that, as a matter of fact. In the meantime... I'm going to tell you guys that you need to stay safe, stay clean, and stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Tennessee Tickets. Brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.